0: Harassment at work comes in all different forms. Some are obvious and some harassment seems like it's just accepted. It's just part of the culture. I remember being at a former corporate job where a manager would tell me that the reason why there weren't more women in the role I had is because when you look at the numbers and the sales, who is putting up the biggest amount of money? White middle-aged men. Yep, he said that to me. Obviously, a woman. And I think harassment and prejudice can run hand in hand. And today we're talking to Lisa Bowman, the author of the cleverly named book, Harasshole. Lisa shares her harrowing story of taking down one of the C-suite executives at a well-known nonprofit because of the harassment that she experienced and the personal risk she took to fight back on her harasser. You will learn about what to look for in your own environment and how to fight back, and believe me, it is not the obvious ways you might think. Before we jump in, I want you to think about some friends that might have shared stories with you about questionable interactions at work. Won't you take a moment, text this episode to them right now, or share it through whatever method? It could really help. And if you'd like to support this show, you can listen to all the episodes ad-free plus bonus content and episodes that are too personal to release publicly as a Patreon patron. And for as little as a few bucks a month, you can help me continue making these episodes and giving you the content that helps you shape your own future and your own culture go to patreon.com forward slash culturechangers. Here is my chat with Lisa Bowman. I am very proud to welcome Lisa Bowman, author of Harasshole. <laughs> welcome, Lisa. Allison, thanks for having me. So uh, as the name suggests, it's very bold. It's very in your face. <laughs> Tell me, where did a Harasshole come from?
1: So I, um, as you know, uh, obviously from your insights on the book, I had a situation at my last job where I was harassed, and that became my nickname for my harasser. Um, When the story went public, I never named him, and through the process of writing the book, the title was originally something different, and at the very last minute, I kind of snapped and I just said, you know what, we're going to call this what it is and call him who he is. And that became the title of the book. But that's Mm. how he was referred to um, by me. So when I was speaking with other people, perhaps outside of the organization, friends that I didn't want to disclose his identity to, I would simply refer to him as my harasshole. Um, And so it stuck.
0: I think that that breeds a lot of challenges that as people that have been on the receiving end of harassment, whether big or small... That we're always very protective, that we don't hurt the harassing person. And that, um, you know, whether it is you being the victim and and not wanting to implicate the person that is the offender, I think we do a lot of protecting on that. Can you would you mind sharing your story with us?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. And and let me clarify something I just heard you say. This really wasn't about protecting my harasser. Um, It was more about protecting me and my personal safety by not naming him. Um, Mm. When I first went to the media with the story, Hmm. he was named, and I asked them to redact his name because I became afraid for my personal safety. Um, People can flip when something like that happens. And so it was really more about self-protection rather than protecting him. But in short, the story is, is that in 2015, I left a 15-year, very successful career at UPS to take on the role of Global Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at the world's largest nonprofit, United Way. Um, Everything was great for the first two years. It was my dream job. And in fall of 2017, I was asked to interview somebody for a peer role on the executive team. Uh, From the minute I was introduced to this person, things were off. They were awkward. Uh, He was subsequently hired, started harassing me. Uh, I put up with it for roughly 15 months before I went to HR. When I went to HR, it was initially on behalf of two females on my team who had come to me with concerns about comments that he had made. Um, By policy, I was obligated to raise it to HR, which I did. A couple weeks later, he crossed the line with me and I needed to go back to HR on my behalf. And from that moment on, I had a target on my back from the CEO of the organization who spent the better part of 2019 trying to get me to quit, uh, following typical retaliation playbook of things like downgrading my performance with no substantive feedback or really reason why taking uh, resources away from me while not relieving any workload cutting me out of meetings, freezing me out of things. And when none of that succeeded, early in 2020, he terminated me. Uh, mm. For uh, we are now at five different reasons why I was terminated. Apparently we're throwing uh, things at the wall to see what will stick.
0: Yikes. Yeah. So can you talk, I, mean, I it's it's hard because when you're going against a corporation, they have so many lawyers that are protecting the organization, not the employees. So, uh, and that's typical of of any large organization. That you know, there there are a lot of uh, insurance policies to help with that. And so, when you're going against such a mammoth um, company and feeling like you are a target, you're being pushed out and harassed. You know, from where it started. Can you talk a little bit about what the you know, because I, I, I feel like people have a hard time putting the word harassment on what it on calling it what it is. You know, what did that look like for you? So that is a great question. And so many people identify harassment
1: with the physicality, right? With being touched, with being groped. And that's not actually the definition of harassment under the law. In my case, my harassment wasn't physical. Um, It was all verbal. It was a series of comments. It was looks. It was inappropriate behavior, such as crowding my personal space. But almost every interaction that I had with my harasshole resulted in commentary on my physical appearance versus my work product, the value that I brought to the organization, my contributions to team, things like that. And so what a lot of people don't understand is that harassment is actually not about sex. It's about power. And this was a male um, trying to exercise his power over somebody that in my, in my perspective, I believe that he was somewhat threatened by me Um, and, you know, did not know how to deal with that. Um, And therefore his mechanism was to reduce me to an object versus a person who was a partner, a peer, a value contributor.
0: I mean, when you are a global chief marketing officer. That is an ex executive of the company. What did it feel like every day? I mean, 15 months before you went to HR, what did it feel like to feel like like you couldn't speak up before? And then when you did, you got punished for it. So what what did what was life like walking into the office? I'm assuming you were walking in because it was before the pandemic. It was. Um, what was what what were your emotions like? Going in, did you feel like you had to put a shield on or put some armor on? What did it feel like?
1: it It did feel like that. I every day would start off quite frankly, with a feeling of dread in the morning, questioning what I was wearing, um although I want to be really clear that no matter what I was wearing, it wouldn't and shouldn't have mattered because it doesn't give anybody a right to talk about your physical appearance. But for me, I don't wear short skirts. I hate my knees. Um, so nobody ever sees them. I don't wear V-neck shirts. Um, you know, I dress fairly conservatively, but I, it didn't matter. So I would start off with questioning what I was wearing, worried about what my initial interaction with him that day would be like, worried about if I was going to have an interaction with him, um, navigating the hallways so that I could try and avoid him. If I saw him at the other end of the hallway, I would take a different route. I would go a different way. Um, making sure that I was never in the building late at night when perhaps he and I might be the only two people left there. Um, but I spend an inordinate amount of time trying to manage not having an interaction with him, which was really tough because this was a peer on the executive team. So mm-hmm. a lot of times I'd be forced into meetings with him. Um, a staff meeting, an executive team monthly meeting, whatever it happened to be. Very cognizant of where I sat in the room, not wanting to be in a position where I was directly across from him so that he could make eye contact with me, not wanting to be next to him because I didn't want him invading my space. So I I would say there was a lot of strategy involved in my day. Um, that quite frankly became a little bit of a distraction for me, didn't impact my work performance, but it it was yet another thing to think about during the day, right? We're all very busy at work, worrying about work things. And this was something that invaded my thought process that I had to worry about. I had to worry about composure. Should he say something to me? How would I react in front of other people? Um, when other people noticed it, how did I maintain a professional composure and not acknowledge anything was going on.
0: So, did you feel like you had anybody support you during this time? No,
1: no. There were other people that knew what was going on. My peers on the executive team, um, half of which was female, they knew what was happening. Nobody stood up. Nobody said one word. Um, I. There was another woman on the executive team who had voiced concern to the COO about one of her resources being transferred to Harasshole's team. And she told the COO flat out that she was worried that we were going to have a sexual harassment issue if this woman was placed on his team. They placed her there anyway. Mm. Hmm.
0: So uh, when you are, so you don't have support, at any point, did you talk to this person and say, I don't appreciate, you know, the way your, your comments, did you ask him to stop or was it something that you just kind of brushed off?
1: No, at every interaction, um, I called it for what it was. So when there would be a comment made about your hair looks amazing today, I love those glasses on you, whatever the comment was, um, there would always be a stop and you know what? We're not here to talk about how my hair looks today. We're here to have a discussion on a strategic approach to problem solving with Project X. We're not here to talk about my glasses. We're here to talk about a communications plan for this product, right? So stop. This is not what we're discussing. Pivot back to work. Um, And at some point... How would he respond? He wouldn't. He would just sit there and stare at me. Um, and at some point I just stopped acknowledging he'd make a comment. I'd just turn around and walk away.
0: Hmm. That sounds awful. So at, at some point you go to HR and, uh, and do you feel like they are helping you at this point kind of navigate the landscape? I mean, how did you survive? So
1: what you just brought up is the biggest single mistake that I made and that, other people make and that i would encourage them not to make when something like this happens while you're usually required to report it to hr hr is not your friend in this situation hr is there to protect the company that was a huge critical mistake that i made in not realizing that i did go to hr and the hr person sat there and smiled and nodded and sent me back the requisite email saying that behavior is not appropriate. You shouldn't have to deal with that. But yet they did nothing to really stop it. Um, and even when I went to them and told them I felt like I was being targeted by the CEO, I felt like I was being retaliated against, they pretty much just ignored me. No, no, you're not. You're not. We, we hear you. Um, and at the end of the day, the COO that oversaw HR was completely complicit in allowing this behavior to happen.
0: So uh, it it's maddening to think about the power structures and the systems that are in place today that are very corporate-friendly, not employee-friendly, um, and the fact that you felt like you were marginalized and you were targeted, um, and then uh, you end up getting terminated. And so now what happens?
1: So um, there's sort of two paths forward, right? One is a legal path and one is a life path. And Mm. from the legal path perspective, my case is sitting with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, who has to give me approval to sue my employer. Um, There are only three states in the country where you cannot sue an employer directly. Georgia is not one of them, neither is Virginia. Um, So when the EEOC is done with their examination of the case and issues me the right to sue, I will proceed down that path with filing a lawsuit against United Way. Um, on the life front, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer, Allison, in that an experience like this isn't worth going through if you don't do something with it. And candidly, that's why I wrote the book. I wanted other people to benefit from my story, from understanding how to navigate, from not making the same mistakes that I did. Um, I wanted people to know that we need to stand up and push back on this behavior and it's a scary thing to do 75% of the women that report harassment in the workplace also face retaliation um 75% mm. that's a lot and so it's scary for people to come forward and when yeah. you do you do so at pretty significant professional and personal risk um i have lost jobs because of this or job opportunities because of this I have had people tell me in interviews where I'm a final candidate, we heard about this. We just need to know that you're not going to be a problem here. Mm. I'm not a problem. I'm not a problem. I'm a person. I was a good employee with a really solid track record and I followed the policy and I was punished for following the policy. And that's a problem in the workplace that we need to change today
0: so i'm thinking about uh my heart goes out to you to feel this way like you h- held your ground and were operating out of dignity and following the path but also you know protecting yourself like i don't feel comfortable i don't feel comfortable and i think women especially have a really difficult time saying that when there is a power structure or when there is you know somebody's livelihood involved um and also value, you know, like I think even the self-value as, as it relates to work um, is really big. And so I'd be curious to get your thoughts on what harassment can look like that people may miss um, or diminish in the workplace.
1: And so many people don't understand those little things that do get dismissed or was that weird? I'm not sure right? And we, yeah. we tend to question it. And so, you know, I'll, I'll start with my initial interaction with my harass hole. When I first met him, now remember he was there to interview for a role. I'd never met him before. And he stepped very close into my personal space. And I mean, close into my personal space. Why did he do that? Um, power. I'm five feet tall. He's a big guy. He's about six, two. Uh, now, granted, I was wearing heels, so we'll put me at 5'4", right on a good day if I fluff up my hair and stand up. But right. He stepped right into my space, made a point of looking down at me and told me that I was intimidating. This is how he greeted somebody for an interview. And so things that seem innocuous, getting into your personal space, hovering over you, looking down at you, um, those are things that play into that power structure of harassment. Um, it can be comments that make you question yourself. Was that person just being nice? Were they trying to pay me a compliment or was there something more to it? It doesn't necessarily need to be overt for it to be harassment. So the constant comments on my physical appearance, right? are harassment, you know, I, and I think that there's a a balance that we have to be careful of in the workplace, right? We don't want to take all humanity and personal interaction, out of the workplace with people being afraid to say anything. But by the same token, when every interaction that you have with somebody is a comment about your physical appearance, that's a red flag that should be paid attention to. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that knowing the difference between I like that jacket you're wearing or that jacket looks great on you. Those are two very different things. And in my case, it was never a comment about the item it was a comment about the article of clothing how it fit me how it looked on me and those are subtle differences um so i would say if somebody is commenting on your appearance you need to really listen to the words and what's being said um and are they being said equally to men and women you know if this is male to female would that man tell another man hey bro i really like your shirt if not, it's probably harassment.
0: And so if I'm, I think the other thing that is not being addressed here is your intuition that I imagine there were probably times where you were trying to talk yourself out of feeling like, I I wonder how much of that plays into our narrative of just brush it off. It's not a big deal, but it still feels like it hurts.
1: If it feels icky, it's icky. I mean, there's, yeah. there's no other way to put it. Trust your gut, um, particularly if this is a situation that there is a power structure. In my case, it was a peer, right? But the reason I initially went to HR is I had two young women, young women of color on my team come to me to tell me that comments that were made to them by the same individual were making them uncomfortable. Um, in one case, there was a young lady who was in an administrative position that had applied for a role on his team, and she'd never met him. Um, they were at a company off-site, and her her report to me is that every time she turned around, he was staring at her and making her uncomfortable, and then finally approached her. Now remember, she's an administrative person. He's on the C team. They'd had no interaction. And he, when he found out that she had applied for a role in his team, he looked her straight in the face and told her, I'd love to see you working on my floor every day. That mm. made her uncomfortable. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you have to trust your gut. And so my question to her, I said, well, you came to me to tell me about this for a reason. Why? She's like, it was just weird. I said, did it make you uncomfortable? She said, yes. I said, okay, you understand. by policy, I'm obligated to take this to HR. Do you get that? And she did. And I suspect, candidly, Allison, the reason that she brought it to me was because she wasn't going to go to HR. Mm -hmm. If you look at the the difference in where they were from a hierarchy perspective, for a young woman of color in an administrative role to go tell on, if you will, a C-level white male executive, Mm. not going to happen.
0: No. So I wonder, you know, you said you couldn't, you made the mistake of going to HR. If HR is not there to protect you, what should somebody do? How, how does somebody get out of that or, uh, you know, or kind of ha- be heard in a way that that is going to be beneficial for all?
1: I think it's not about not going to HR, right? Because most companies have a policy that obligates you to report it to HR. What you need to understand, though, is that when you do that, HR is not there to protect you. They're there to protect the company. So in that situation, um, and particularly if it's really bad, right, if you'd been dealing with it for as long as I had, I probably should have had an attorney first before I went to HR or at least sought legal counsel. Um, so that I would know how to navigate. But again, my mistake, I believe, was in trusting h r to do the right thing for me. A lot of companies have got third party hotlines, ethics lines, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an opportunity too. Those are supposed to be anonymous. The reality is sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. Um, but I would say, no matter what, you make sure that you document. Um, and you document the reaction that you get from HR. Um, Because when I went in there, their initial reaction was, we'll address it with him, which they claim they did once, but it never stopped. And to the best of my knowledge, every time after that, when I went back. um, Now, remember, in my case, I was having retaliation as well. So the CEO was retaliating against me. That put HR in an awkward position, Make no mistake, it doesn't excuse them, but I'm sure it put them in an awkward position because here's the head person in charge to whom they ultimately report who's retaliating against me.
0: I think what's crazy is that this is also a nonprofit, like a charity. So- <laughs> and to have all of this happen under under that watch, it's hard, Right. It's it's not crazy, though. And so
1: that's normally what I hear from people. They say, oh, my gosh, you know, we hear about this in the sporting world in entertainment in corporate America, but a nonprofit. So here's the thing. And this is why I think there's not a lot of play in nonprofits about this or a lot of coverage. Nonprofits are organizations just like commercial organizations. What makes them Mm -hmm. a nonprofit is they don't pay taxes. But at the end of the day, it's an organization and organizations are filled with people. There are good people and there are bad people. But just because an organization's primary mission is to do good, doesn't mean everybody that works there is a good person. Yeah. And I so, people forget that sometimes. They think, oh my gosh, these are all the good people that are here to do good work. They're just people like anywhere else. And the reason people don't speak up in nonprofits and what likely made my situation so different is that people don't speak up because they don't want to hurt the mission of the organization, right? put it at risk. For me, it was really important that donors understood what was happening. United Way is the world's largest privately funded nonprofit. It's an almost $5 billion nonprofit.
0: Mm, wow. Yeah. That's a big nonprofit. Yes. So I'm wondering from a cultural perspective, so you wrote this book. I'd be curious to get what the feedback has been like. Have you had people come at you know back and say oh my god this same thing happened to me or something similar what has the feedback been like
1: it has been a lot of women thanking me for saying what they didn't say and and, yeah. and standing up and and speaking out i've had more women come to me and tell me yes this happened to me too and you know i i laugh because i think the word that's been getting used a lot in the feedback is brave and bravery and i don't really feel like anything I did was necessarily that brave. I feel like it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me think about something that my grandmother used to always counsel me on. She was a very wise woman who passed away um, in her late 90s. And she always used to say, you can never go wrong by doing right. And right. to me, this was just the right thing to do was to stand up, to speak out about it. But the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive, a lot of supportive. Now, there have been a couple of people that have come for me. Um, you know, somebody uh, that put a review on Amazon uh, thinking they could hide behind that. And it's, you know, I know who it is. They don't have the facts at all. They weren't in a position to have any facts. Um, so there's there's been a couple of boneheads uh, that have popped mm-hmm. off, but by and large that people have been very supportive, even people in the United Way Network, CEOs reaching out to me, telling me that they wish they had really realized what was happening right. um, and wish they could have supported me better because I was a fairly well-known entity within the United Way Network.
0: So what do you think is the solution from a cultural perspective? What would help going forward? What would be your dream if you could you know, use this for good to change some things.
1: I would flip the narrative on what we do today, right? Almost every company has got policies, processes, procedures that are supposed to be followed, right? We sign off on them, we take training on them, we watch videos. Um, but what ends up happening, if you think about the statistics, right? Seventy-five percent of women being retaliated against for reporting this. When something like this happens, the perpetrator, the harasshole. That is the person that's the liability for the company, not the person that's followed policy. And so I'd love to flip the narrative and actually see companies start to embrace and recognize the people that do take the risk to come forward and call out the bad behavior and save the company um, from having an issue. That's exactly what I tried to do, candidly. When this first came up with the CEO and We had the conversation where I said, are you aware of the fact that I have had to go to HR twice in the last couple of weeks about this individual? And the CEO's response was, yeah, yeah, I heard all about that. You know, you and your girls just need to learn to get along with him. Mm. And I said, this isn't about not getting along. This is about somebody whose behavior is a liability for this organization and needs to be addressed. In my role as overseeing brand, with that being part of marketing, that's brand damage. Um what this organization has encountered as a result of all of this going public because they didn't handle it the right way is brand damage. And that doesn't need to happen. We should be rewarding the people that take the risk to come forward and speak up about this without fear of retaliation because they're doing the company a favor. These mm. folks are they're serial harassers. I can tell you, I know for a fact that mine has got a long trail of harassing women that goes back to at least 2005. I've had other women contact me from along his prior work history that have had the same encounters with him. Even when I didn't name him, I had a woman track me down through three layers of contacts. And she said, I worked with him between 2005 and 2008. And I said, I never named him in the media. And she said, Oh no, it's this person. Uh, Mm -hmm. I worked with him back at this company, same pattern. And I knew that he went to United way. So unfortunately there is not a process to catch these folks. It doesn't Mm -hmm. show up in a background check. It doesn't show up in reference checks. There's no way to identify if somebody is a harasser. And I am convinced wherever he is, and I don't know where he is at the moment there's another woman that's at risk.
0: Mm. So what do you know that you wish other people could know?
1: I know that when you come forward, you you do so at risk, like I've said. I know that if we don't start to stand up and push back against this behavior, it's not going to change. And so some of us are going to need to take that risk for everyone else. Um, I know that there were people that knew what was going on and didn't intervene and didn't support me. So for women that might be afraid to come forward in the workplace, I would start pushing your HR folks and asking them if along with your harassment training, if they would do bystander intervention training. That's a big thing with somebody intervening and stopping that behavior so that you get the person who's being subjected to it out of it. You interrupt that pattern. And if you do that enough times, maybe some of this stops.
0: I never heard of that. I love that idea. So, So, uh, oh, please, go ahead.
1: Bystander intervention training, there's a number of different frameworks out there for it that are known as the 3Ds, the 5Ds. But they essentially all begin with distracting the harasser, right, And, and interjecting into that behavior. So, for example, if I observe something happening, with you and you were in a situation, um, somebody was in your space making a comment, I saw that you were uncomfortable, whatever it was, I would simply walk up and say to that person, you know what, excuse me for a second. I actually need to borrow Allison for just a minute for a critical situation that just came up. Allison, can you join me? And physically take you with me. Um, So you you put a stop to that behavior, You, you extract the person from that behavior. Um, you also can call that behavior out as a third party to say that, Hey, you know what? what you just said to her, not appropriate, like that needs to stop.
0: I think it sounds like people just using their voice and, uh, it's, it's hard. It's, it really is reprogramming, uh, what we tell ourselves in society, but also society as well. How can people find you and how can people find your book? Thanks, Allison. So you can find me either
1: on LinkedIn or you can find me through my website, which is really easy. It's harasshole.com. Uh <laughs> the Book is available on Amazon. Um, and how has that
0: name not been taken?
1: <laughs> uh, I actually filed a trademark for the name, so that, good that is has been a at the moment. Um, and it is uh, it is on Urban Dictionary too. So I'm not sure when that oh, pops so up. Funny. But, uh, I don't I don't know that I can claim the name per se, um, right? But uh, it just, it made so much sense for the book. And, um, you know, I I remember when there was somebody very influential who was reviewing the book for me, and I thought they may have an issue with the name. And she said, you know what, we just need to call it what it is.
0: Yeah. And I, I
1: think that's right. And so that's the same thing with this behavior, right? We need to recognize it for what it is, and we need to call it for what it is. And it's not until enough of us stand up and start pushing back that we're going to get change. Otherwise, we're going to continue to stay silent um, to endure retaliation when we do speak up and nothing's going to change. We'll be having the same conversation in the
0: next 10 years. So powerful, Lisa. Thank you so much for putting your story out there and being an advocate for other people that need to raise their voices too and changing this. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It still makes me so mad that Lisa Bowman had to endure such a personal cost to fight the power. But I'm so proud of her example and for standing up and paving the way for more of us to grab all of our courage and come forward to change the system. I've linked Lisa's info in the show notes and hope you buy the book, Harasshole. As for me, you can support this show for as little as $4 a month. Get all the episodes ad-free, and get bonus content. You can also get on my super relatable and honest personal journal entries that I email once a week by going to allisonhair.com and leaving me your email. Stay tuned as big changes are coming. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.